Our scripture reading today comes from Acts 2, 42 through 47, and 4, 32 through 37. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. As I mentioned last week, our vision here at Hope Chapel is to follow Jesus in his work of bringing spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to Greensboro and the world. And to help us achieve our vision in 2023, we as a church body are going to be focusing on cultivating shalom in the church, in the city, and in the world. Shalom is the wholeness and peace that King Jesus is bringing in our world today. King Jesus is restoring our world as it was meant to be. Now, last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, where Luke taught us that the first thing that King Jesus did when he was up in heaven was to send the Holy Spirit from the heavenly realm to dwell in those who profess faith in him. Christ dwells in us. We are the new temple. But Christ didn't stop there in creating just a new temple. He also created a new community. And this new community, it's the reversal of the Babel. And Babel, you know, the languages were scattered. But we see in Acts 2 that they were able to actually hear and talk to each other in each other's languages. The many are now one. And Jesus, he's given us new status to his followers. Women who once were not allowed to learn under a rabbi, now they possess the same spiritual insight as men. Children who were relegated to the side now play an integral role in God's kingdom. And slaves were given the Holy Spirit and granted the same spiritual insight as those who are free. The politics of King Jesus' community isn't Republican or Democrat. It doesn't seek to use power to overthrow the government and create theocracies. King Jesus is creating a new community 
that seeks to live in an upside-down world and to restore things as they were meant to be. And so this morning, we're going to continue to look at the new community that God is forming. And I want us to consider two things as we look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And the first is that one of the things about this new community is that they are going to pursue a new type of worship. And then secondly, this new community is going to demonstrate a new hospitality. Let me pray for us. Lord, grateful this morning for your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you are here in our midst, that you dwell in us. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your word. Make this text fresh in you, in our minds, in our hearts. Set us free. Let us experience your love and your grace and your mercy. And help us to grow in our understanding of you and our understanding of what it would look like for us to cultivate shalom, wholeness, and peace in our own lives, in the lives of our neighbors and our friends and our family, in the life of the city and in the world. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you, you can open your bulletin, or you can look at your Bible, or you can look on your Bible app. We're going to be looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And the first thing as we look at this passage is that we see in this new community, there's a new worship. Now, since sin entered the world, there was a barrier that prevented man from freely entering into God's presence. It was difficult for man to actually worship God because man was sinful and God was holy. But as we discussed last week, because Jesus Christ has come, because he's lived and because he died and because he was raised from the dead, he atoned for our sins. And so that veil in the temple was torn in two, and now we can freely worship God again. And we see this new worship in Acts 2, verse 42. Luke writes, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, after seeing the miraculous reversing of Babel and hearing Peter's sermon in verses 22 through 36, Luke says that the people there, they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter, what do we do? What shall we do to be saved? And Peter called them to repent and profess faith in Christ and receive the forgiveness of their sins. And so literally 3,000 people were added to this little church of 120. It grew exponentially. And it was out of this place of gratitude for all that God had done for them that stirred a passion in them, a devotion to worship God. And in verse 42, this new way of worship, it contained elements of the old mixed in with elements of the new. They continued to participate in the old elements of the synagogue, 
the prayers, liturgy, similar to our call to worship when we go back and forth, fellowship and teaching. But the new community, they met on a new day on Sunday. And they devoted themselves to a new teaching, the apostles' teaching. And they soaked up every word that Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles were teaching about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. And they were also committed to a new sacrament, the taking of the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, and the drinking of the wine. The table is a place where heaven and earth come together. It's a means of grace where the Spirit of God meets those who partake in a beautiful and intimate way. It's a visible demonstration of the gospel. And so this new community of 3,000 people, they gathered together and they worshiped God in a new way. They sat under the apostles' teaching. They fellowshiped with one another. They partook of the Lord's Supper. They prayed together. And they were so overcome by God's grace and love for them that they not only met on the Lord's Day, verse 46 says, they met day by day, attending the temple together to pray and be a visible demonstration of the new way amongst the Jews who were gathered there. And in verse 47, they praise God again and again and again. We are the new community of God. And we are called to worship in this new way. We are a holy people. And if we are casual about sin, if church is just a formality, if the Bible is just mere duty, we have to ask ourselves, which is more real to me? The unseen realm or TikTok? Which is more invigorating? The shaping of souls or house projects or extracurricular activities or padding our portfolios so we can get into the best colleges? For the early church, the unseen realm was invigorating. They had seen God raise Jesus Christ from the dead. They had received the Holy Spirit. Their hearts were cut in two. And they had a sense of awe and a sense of passion that drove them to worship Christ in this new way. And for us, if I'm honest, it's easy for me to become complacent. It's easy to lose the sense of awe and beauty of the gospel, which draws our hearts to worship. It's easy to come Sunday after Sunday, and we go through the same liturgy and just kind of get lost and start daydreaming about what we're going to do afterwards and what we're going to eat for lunch. Our hearts, as the hymn says, are prone to wander. And so this begs the question, how do we stay passionate towards the Lord? How do we continue to pursue this new worship? How do we stay devoted? And I want to mention just three, three things that might be helpful this morning in your own life, in your own story. 
And the first is we need to keep showing up. After leaving InterVarsity, I moved back to Greensboro. And I thought I was going to go into church work, but I realized I didn't have an MDiv, so I couldn't do that. And it was a real time of confusion for me in my faith. I had kind of, kind of been this celebrity, you know, staff person and, and done all these great things for the Lord. But then I came back here and I was like, there was nothing I could stand on. There was no performance for me to stand on. And then I suddenly realized that the ground beneath me was sinking sand. And I sunk. And I remember meeting with Mike Moses, who just passed recently. He's a godly man, and I began to tell him, you know, Mike, I don't know if I love God anymore. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to worship. I'm annoyed by God. I'm depressed. And he looked at me, and he said, I I want you to do two things. And I was like, okay, what are the two things? And he said, first, I want you to remember that God loves you. He loves you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, what you will do, he loves you. And the second thing I want you to do, Todd, I want you to go to church on Sunday mornings. And I was like, I don't want to go. He said, no, I want you to go. You don't have to sing. You don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have to pray. Just go. And so I was like, okay, I'll go. And so I just, every Sunday, I would go. At the time, I was at Grace Community Church. And I would go and I'd sit. I really didn't talk with people. I didn't sing. I didn't pray. I didn't even really listen to the sermons at the time. And, but week after week after week, I went. And then just slowly, as I watched everyone around me, walked through the rhythms, the practices, the liturgy, God began to melt my heart. God provided a space for me to be angry with him to weep over my own heart and my lack of understanding of the gospel. And as I continued to just go faithfully, something shifted in my heart and the spirit enlivened me. And the sermons became fresh and new again. The gospel became fresh and new. I wanted to worship. God had restored my passion and so if you're here this morning and you're kind of here just by rote, maybe your, your wife brought you, your husband brought you, you didn't really want to come, and you're, you're, this sense of awe and this sense of worship, you're kind of like, ugh, and maybe you felt like me. I'm glad you're here. And I encourage you, just keep coming. Just keep coming. God loves you, and he will meet you. And he will transform your heart. And before you know it, your heart will be singing and be full again and full of awe and wonder. And if you're here and your heart is already there, then we're glad. Just keep coming. Because for people like me that came, I needed people like you who would sing around me to remind me that yes, God is real. Yes, God is good. Yes, God is working. Yes, God is loving. And so if we are struggling with our passion and our devotion and to enter into this new worship, we need to keep showing up. And then secondly, we need to ask the Spirit to search our hearts. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. 
It speaks about God creating us, knowing us, knowing everything about us, ordaining all our days, and him, him loving us and delighting in us. But very interestingly, at the, at the end of the psalm, the psalmist writes this in verses 23 through 24. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus says in Matthew 6, you can't love both God and mammon. You will either be devoted to the one or hate the other. Sometimes we struggle to be passionate about God because our hearts are serving or loving something else. And so to bring us back to the heart of worship, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And maybe there's something in our hearts. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's a pursuit. It could be anything. And ask him if we're pursuing that more than him to call us to repent. To turn away from those things that maybe even are good things and turn back to him. And so to grow in our passion in this new worship, we need to keep showing up. We need to ask God to search our hearts. And then thirdly, we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. A dear friend of mine in Winston-Salem, she keeps reminding me again and again and again that I'm human. And it sounds stupid, doesn't it? You know, you think I would realize that I'm human, but I'm often a perfectionist, and I want to do everything right. I'm a one on the Enneagram. Everything has to be perfect. And she keeps saying, Todd, we're humans. We're flawed. We're sinners. And, I, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as I've been in relationship with her, I realized that I am flawed, I am sinful, and I hurt her and others. And she's reminding me that because she said, you need to know that you're human. Because when you know you're human and you acknowledge that you're a sinner, then you preach the gospel to yourself. And you remind yourself of the truth that God died for you. He rose for you. He atones for your sins. He forgives you. He gives you the power to change and when we begin to be captured, Luther says, and preach the gospel to ourselves every day, then our hearts will turn to him anew and afresh. I met with her yesterday, and we were talking about the church in general. And I was like, I so easily fall into Phariseeism. I so easily get so judgmental toward others and their sin and their brokenness and forget their humanity. The church needs to be a safe place. I love how Harrison introduced and called us to worship. We come here. Some of our hearts are cold. Some of us come with addictions. Some of us come with struggles. Some of us come with things in our past that we won't receive God's forgiveness for. We all come with a lot of baggage. We're human. And we come to a God who sees us who loves us, who has atoned for our sin, who gives us the power to change. 
And when we begin to experience that and preach the gospel to ourselves and corporately preach the gospel to ourselves and be a community that is doing that, then we're cultivating shalom, wholeness, and peace. And we're restoring things as they should be. And as we do all of that, our hearts will become more passionate toward the Lord. We will do what the songs say. We will literally bow. Get down on our knees and bow and thank the Lord that he would save a wretch like me and like you. And so we see in Acts 2.42 that in this new community, he's creating a new worship, a new day on Sunday, studying the apostles' teaching, being devoted, fellowshipping with one another, praying together and doing that on the Lord's day, but, but also doing it daily. And we also see in our passage this morning that from that place of awe, from that place of worship, we are called to be a community that offers a new hospitality. If you remember when, when we studied Genesis, I talked about Abraham in Genesis 18. And Abraham is known in many faiths, in Islam and other faiths, as the man of hospitality. Why? Because he entertained three strangers in Genesis 18. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And then Abraham called Israel to also be a people of hospitality. And after Jesus' ascension in Pentecost... We see hospitality continuing among God's people, but in a radically new way. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, over 120,000 Jews had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost and the Passover. And Luke tells us that 3,000 of those 120,000, they profess faith in Christ. Now, those folks were from all over. And many of them didn't have homes in Jerusalem. But they wanted to stay in Jerusalem. And so you, if you kind of put the numbers together, and there weren't Holiday Inns and Hampton Inns in, in Jerusalem, it, it was a little bit of a conundrum. How do we take care of and care for our new brothers and sisters? And what did the church do? They provided radical new hospitality. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Chapter 4, verse 32 and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And then in chapter 4, verse 37, even one sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You might notice, unlike socialism that channels money through the government— and communism, which forces people to share all things, the followers of King Jesus wanted to give all things that they had in order to take care of their brothers and sisters who were in Jerusalem. They opened their homes so that they might eat together. They sold land, their inheritance, 
so that the money could be used to provide food and shelter for their new brothers and sisters. And because we are sons and daughters of Adam, from the time that we come out of the womb, we, are, we have a propensity in us to be me, mine. We struggle to share our toys. We struggle to share our possessions with one another. Yet what we see in Acts 2 and in Acts 4 is the Holy Spirit transforming the hearts of men, women, and children. Instead of me and mine, they shared all things in common so that no one would go without need. This is the new hospitality. This is cultivating shalom, wholeness, and peace. The many acting as one. The many taking care of the needs of those assembled in Jerusalem. And what is the result when we practice this new hospitality as a new community? Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People saw this new community, this new followers of Christ, not only worshiping in a new way, but acting and pouring out hospitality in a way that they had never seen before. It was so radical, so much so that they were curious. They began to ask questions. Why are you living this way? And that was an opportunity for them to share the good news of the gospel. And many were added to them. And as I thought about this whole idea of radical hospitality, I couldn't help but think of a play that I've seen recently. Many of you might have seen it. It's called Come From Away. And it's the story of this little community in Newfoundland called Gander. And on 9-11, 7,000 people were diverted to this little itty-bitty island that only contained 10,000 people. And the amazing thing that happened over those days, there weren't hotels, there weren't places for these people to stay. What they did is they turned their whole town basically into a, a, a bed and breakfast. They made space for them at the Y. They made space for them in the schools. The bus drivers that day were literally on strike. And they laid down their, their picket lines and they got in their buses and started to move and ship all these people from all over the world that act of kindness, that radical hospitality began to leak out so much so that lives were changed. And this Broadway play really demonstrates what we as a church are called to do and be, a new hospitality. We're, will, we're willing to give up everything in order to take care of one another and those in need around us. New worship leads to new hospitality. We don't give because we have to. Scott North always says to me, we give out of a joyful and generous heart. A heart that understands the good news that we have been saved by grace, not by works. And that good news changes us from the inside out and will cause us to act in new ways. And so the question for us this morning, are we as a church body practicing 
radical new hospitality? Are you willing to forego a vacation or a nice dinner out so that you might take that money and give it to someone in our midst who's in need? Are we willing to open our homes, not just to one another, but to strangers? Are we throwing parties, street parties, for our neighbors, our classmates, our coworkers, inviting them into our homes? Cultivating shalom in the church and in our city and our world is restoring things as they were originally meant to be. And if you think back to the garden, Adam and Eve had no needs because God the Father provided everything for them. And they shared everything in common. That is what he is calling us to do. To cultivate shalom in our church and in the city and in the world. And as I think about that, I I applaud you. Because I think in many ways this church has done that. I think of our, our Saturdays where we get to actually distribute from out of the garden food. That's cultivating shalom. We're actually creating many gardens of Eden on Saturday morning as we feed those and give food to those who are in need. I can't tell you how many uh, food, um, those food drives that we've done for folks in our midst And I've been amazed at all the babies and all the meals that you guys have shared with one another. And I know it hasn't been easy. And all the meals that you provided for me when I had cancer, for Katie and the Shinkies and others. You guys are already doing this. And my hope is that we'll go even deeper, go even further. Not, again, because we have to, but because we want to. Because We are in awe of the living God and his grace and his mercy. And that transforms us and causes us to say, everything I have is his. And therefore, I will give it freely. First, to take care of the church and then to take care of those outside of the church. Left to ourselves, this is impossible. But Acts 2 tells us that we're not left to ourselves. King Jesus in his very first act sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And the Holy Spirit can empower us to worship Jesus and to offer radical new hospitality. The spark that started with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension The flame grew in the upper room as the Spirit descended on the 120 followers gathered there. And then Peter boldly preached the good news of the gospel. Men, women, and children were cut to the heart, and over 3,000 were added to their midst. The flame is catching fire. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it still burns today. And as we engage as a new community and new worship, and new hospitality, that fire will grow. It'll grow in our church. It'll grow in our city. It'll grow in our world. And the light of Christ will be seen by a watching world. And the Lord will add 
to his kingdom more and more people. Let it be. Let it be. Amen.